Well, we were going to be talking about heart strong for marriage, but God directed my heart uh, in a different way uh, this morning. Uh, we're right in the midst of our heart strong campaign. And two weeks from now on Palm Sunday, we're going to be bringing our heart strong financial commitments to the Lord. Uh, we'll be making decisions about how we want to financially support this new chapter in our ministry. And I, I just want to continue to challenge and encourage you uh, to use a devotional, to attend your small group or come to the one here at church. Uh, continue to pray, uh, listen to these messages, and really ask the Lord, how do you want me to be financially a part of HeartStrong? This is just the beginning. And we need to obviously fund the vision, as we've talked about, as we outlined in our HeartStrong gatherings. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we're going to be talking about so many different ways you can be involved in our worship gatherings and cultivating your relationship one-on-one -on -one with God and, uh, again, strengthening marriage and families and all kinds of compassion activities. But this is a very pivotal time for our church over the next two weeks. And I, again, just uh, exhort you as your pastor to pray, to fast if so led, to spend time alone with God and ask Him, Lord, as a family. In fact, we even have a family guide that you received in the mail and is also part of your devotional. Sit down as a family and say, Lord, what do you want us to give to you above and beyond our regular offerings in order that we might support this vision that uh, our family has uh, to expand our ministries, to touch new people's lives, to take us on a new and exciting uh, journey. Uh, that's my challenge uh, for you. And I thought in reference to just kind of helping you along in that uh, exploration process is to talk about the fact that we need to be heart strong by faith. Heart strong by faith. We look at Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. You've got to have faith. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, if you're going to have faith in God, first of all, you have to believe that He exists, right? And He says who He says He is. And then you need to go after Him. You need to express that faith on a daily basis by trusting Him. I guess there's a lot of ways you can define faith. But one definition that I think is helpful is trusting in God's truth. Trusting in God's truth. Trusting in who God says He is, His character, uh, what we know about Him. Trusting in the fact that He is our Creator, that He knows everything about us, and the fact that He has told us how to live in this book and through the power of Christ, we can become more like Jesus and experience life in a totally different way than 
other people experience it because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, we put faith in a lot of people. We have a pediatrician, Howard Singer, who we've gone to for over 20 years. And uh, he is just a wonderful pediatrician. He's in his 70s. He's still practicing. And uh, he's kind of a family doctor in a way because we go to him and he always asks how everybody's doing. And so I always have some type of medical question. <laughs> you know, I've got this thing. And you know, <laughs> sometimes he'll write me a prescription. But I tell you what, I have the, a high level of faith in Howard Singer's medical knowledge. I have a high level of faith in his integrity. I have a high level of faith in his competence. I have a high level of faith in the fact that uh, if I have a medical question, he's a guy that I would go to. And if he didn't have the answer, somebody else would. Now, I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. Uh, there's, my body is a mystery to me. But I put my confidence in him uh, when I happen to I have a great family doctor as well. But uh, I put my confidence in him. If I'm there and I have an issue, I know that he is going to help me. Now, that's just a human doctor, right? But that's how we have faith in people. We have faith in our tax accountant, right, as we move toward uh, April 15th, you know, that he's up to date and that he's competent, right? We have faith in all kinds of people, but the ultimate faith is in God. That is where our faith lies. And it not only impacts, obviously, our commitment to uh, something called heart strong, but it influences every area of our lives. And that's what we want to explore today. Uh, we'll look at a couple of verses in Hebrews 11, which is the Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith. These are the people that God lifts up and He says, study these people's lives. Meditate upon their experiences. Because again, these are the people that have exhibited faith in me. And you need to follow their lead and their model. We look in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's the opposite of the way we are here in the U.S. Typically, you'll hear the phrase, I'll see it or I'll believe it when I see it, right? If you want me to believe in something, I've got to see it first. I've got to see the data. I've got to see the evidence. I've got to hear anecdotal stories. I've got to know that this particular program works, this particular car is the best car. I, you know, show me the data. Show me the information. And then I will believe. Well, Christianity is kind of flip-flopped. Where Christianity, uh, you have to believe before you see. You have to believe before you see. You have to believe in a God that you cannot see. And that's what it is. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, what we desire in life, in alignment with God's will, and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. Now, again, that goes against our basic orientation. 
We want to see first. And then we'll be certain. But God constantly asks us day by day by day to be certain of things that we do not see. Because that's what He values the most, is our faith, our trust in Him. And when I think about my relationship with God, I have confidence in God. I trust in God. I live out my life every day. I make decisions. I orientate my life in a certain way because I have faith in God. I trust in His truth. I act upon His truth. And it's, it's this book that's my guide. This book teaches me about truth. This is truth. This is God's truth. This is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Now, again, if you don't believe that, talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors, small group leaders. There's great books you can read about that. But there is no doubt that this is God's Word, or I wouldn't be up here. I'd be doing something else. All right? I'd be working at some other job. Uh, but because I believe this is God's Word, it's my joy to stand before you and let the Spirit teach His truth to you through me. Uh, I believe that, that this, 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 uh, this Word of God says that, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that God is the Creator that God is righteous, that God is pure, that God has this incredible love for me and for you. It tells me all about God. It tells me there's a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I believe. I believe. And I tell you, my belief grows. Belief starts out small. And the more you experience a Christian life, the more you walk with God, the more sure you become because you experience it. And the Holy Spirit works deeper and deeper within you in regards to how much it's a part of the fabric of your soul. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that the penalty for my sin is eternal separation in hell from God. I believe that God loved me so much that He sent His Son to die on my behalf to pay that penalty that I deserve for my sin. And I believe that if I, and I did, put my faith in Jesus Christ at the age of five, I believe that when I made that decision with my mother, that I repented of my sin I asked for God's free gift of salvation. I asked to be part of His family. I believe at that point I became a part of the family of God. I believe that when I die, the moment I take my last breath here on earth, my next breath will be celestial air in the kingdom. I believe that my father who passed away and my father-in-law that passed away this year and mother who passed away years ago, they are in the kingdom right now. They are experiencing the joy of being in the presence of 
Jesus Christ experiencing life as God intended it to be. Now, I don't have pictures. You know, I can't Skype them. You know, but I believe it. I believe it. I'm trusting in God's truth, and that's the way I live my life. Friends, this is such a radical way to view life compared to your neighbors and coworkers and other people you care about who don't believe, who don't have faith in God, who don't believe that this book reveals the truth about God. So, so I, I believe all of those things. Now, here's where I struggle, okay? I struggle about, uh, okay, God, I'm going to heaven when I die, and God's a creator, and I'm part of God's family. That's all cool, but, uh, you know, am I going to have enough money in five years to live? My health, the health of my family, the people I love, you know, what's it going to be in five years? Are they going to come down with some particular type of disease? You know, is somebody that I love going to be taken from me? Is someone going to die? Uh, am I going to be able to, you know, provide for my family? Am I, am I going to be able to, again, do the work that I desire to do? <laughs> Here's the issue, people. We trust God with the really big stuff, right? The fact that He's the creator, that... We're his children, and we're going to heaven. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of life, right? Am I going to have a job next year? Uh, am I going to be happy? Uh, is my marriage going to work out? That's the stuff that we, we don't think we, God can handle. <laughs> you know? That's the kind of stuff. Well, God, you know, I'm trusting in your truth about all those other things. Now, I know you say that... I can trust in you for my future, no matter what happens in my future. Even if bad things happen in my future, you can carry me through. But I don't know. Maybe I'll just kind of take control of my own life. Maybe I'll trust in you for my finances. So when I come to this whole idea of, you know, making a financial commitment and taking a a step of growth and faith, I don't know. You know, let me handle the financial area, okay? Uh, Let me make that decision. Uh, and, and over here with my job, you know, I'll control that as well because we're not mature in our faith. We're not mature in trusting God, trusting God for His truth of what He stated about our everyday needs and how God wants to meet our everyday needs if we'll just allow Him to do that. that this is everyday faith, friends, waking up every day in the midst of whatever challenges we have, whatever relational uh, issues that are going on in our life, whatever we're fearing about the future, and saying, God, I am going to trust you because you said I could trust you. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Do you really believe that on a daily basis with whatever thing you're worrying about right now? Do you really believe that? And that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's where God wants us every day to wake up in faith and to be certain of what we do not see. Every command God gives, every promise is a test. Do we really believe that God is good? Do we really believe that God has our best interests? That, that, That He knows what's best for us? So we need to believe when 
when I don't see. Another thing about faith is I need to obey when I don't understand. I need to obey when I don't understand. Uh, another character uh, or another person we see in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, is Noah. It says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That comes by faith. Noah, <laughs> you can just kind of imagine the conversation that went on between God and Noah. Noah came to, uh, God came to Noah and said, Noah, got to build a boat build a boat because there's going to be a flood and Noah said what's a flood <laughs> God said well a flood is when it rains a lot I mean it can rains and rains and rains and rains and rains and Noah said well what's rain <laughs> because you see the atmosphere was different in that day uh, again uh, the water came through the ground for condensation and dew and things like that. So Moses had never seen rain. He'd never seen a flood. He, he'd seen bodies of water before. There were boats back then. But uh, God said, I want you to build me a boat. Now, <laughs> that took a lot of faith, didn't it? And it wasn't just a, a little rowboat. I mean, this, this boat took 55 to 75 years, scholars believe, to build. 55 to 75. That takes a lot of faith. When you have the whole community set against you, I mean, they really thought Noah had lost it and his whole family. And can you just imagine over a 55-year period, here's this guy building this huge boat in the middle of nowhere. And they have no context to why he would do this. There's no water around. <laughs> I mean, what incredible faith Noah had. And he gave himself over to God. And he put up with the abuse. And he built that boat. You see, he was a big picture type of person. See, the more you grow in your understanding of who God is, the more you study His Word, the more you experience His faithfulness, in your life, the more big picture you become. We all start out with very little pictures of our world, especially if we don't know Jesus. Our picture is just very immediate. It's very much about this world and the things that this world can offer us. And, and we design our lives to, to give us the most pleasure. And, and what, however we're driven, you know, it's all about this little world, Okay. All about what's going on here and what I can do. And I, I, I don't blame people if that's all they're exposed to and they don't know Jesus. Uh, but I tell you, when you, when you come into the kingdom, the kingdom, you, be, you become a big picture person. And you realize that you've got it wrong all along. Is that this world is much different than it appears. That this world is just uh, temporary. It's fleeting. It's just a moment in the time of eternity. And that really this whole life is all about eternity. It's all about spending uh, the rest of your life with, with Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so therefore, if you have that type of mentality, that's going to change the way you live from day to day. 
is you really are going to start exercising faith, trusting in God's truth and living in a totally different way. I mean, when you became a Christ follower and you started to attend church, uh, did anybody in your family or friends give you a hard time? Anybody have that experience? Anybody, you know? What would they think of you? No? They, they, they thought you joined a cult or something. They thought that uh, you had lost it. Uh, <laughs> they thought that uh, you were weak and you needed a crutch or something like that. They thought you were ruining uh, your life. And, and, and again, because they didn't understand the big picture. They don't know who God is. They don't know how much God loves them and, and the bigger plan uh, that one has, uh, that God has for them. And so they're out in their little world, and they're looking out at you and say, whoa, you're out of this world, man. You, you've lost it. And so they give you a hard time, and, and people persecute you because you're living with this different mindset. That's really what the Christian life you know, is. It's just a totally different mindset. And that's why people just cannot figure us out. That's why people think we're fools, right? We're fools for Christ. I was talking to Richard, Pastor Rich, and I just uh, admire he and Carolyn so much and how they are really big-picture people because uh, Rich was very successful in corporate America uh, for many years, and uh, God called him to be a pastor and uh, that was a big decision. He didn't have a lot of support. He had a wonderful pastor who had mentored him and led him to the Lord, uh, Zach Turner. And he was a real encouragement uh, to him. But he and Carolyn just didn't have a lot of support. You know, his dad thought he was being irresponsible. And uh, the rest of his friends who weren't Christians just thought he was making a mistake. They just had no clue. I mean, what are you doing? What is wrong with you. In fact, his boss said, you know, if you quit, you're never coming back. <laughs> it's like a threat, like, oh, oh, yeah, that's supposed to strike fear. <laughs> he knew he wasn't coming back for peace sake. That's the whole idea. <laughs> he was stepping out into ministry and they had tremendous financial sacrifices they had to make. Uh, they had to take on a whole new lifestyle, a whole new way of looking at life. But aren't we so thankful the Pastor Rich stepped out in faith. Aren't you so glad? Oh, man. I just want to thank Pastor Rich and Carolyn and really the whole family for taking that step. It was so difficult. It wasn't easy. Just because you take a step of faith doesn't mean, you know, it's all a party. You know, it's very challenging. So I just have such respect for the whole family and their step of faith and and that's what happens when you take a step of faith. It's hard. When you, when you step out of this world's understanding of how things should work uh, and, and you step into God's world, well, that's taking a step of faith. And that's exactly what Noah did. And he was blessed be, because of it. Uh, another thing I want to talk about uh, is giving when I don't have it. Giving when I don't have it. I want to look at a passage in Second Corinthians chapter 8. And this is uh, talking about a particular uh, group of churches, the Macedonian churches. And Paul was writing uh, to the people at Corinth, and he was trying to encourage them to step out in faith, especially in this area of giving. There, there were churches in Jerusalem uh, that were 
just very, very poor, and they had so many needs. And so churches were taking offerings to help the church in Jerusalem, the original uh, church, one might say. And so the Macedonians just were giving to the church of Jerusalem, where the people at Corinth hadn't. And so Paul was encouraging them. He was using the Macedonians as a model. And Macedonia was a very interesting area because uh, it once had been a thriving economy. I mean, they had everything. They had gold and silver that they were mining. They had salt. They had timber, this forest of timber. Uh, There's all kinds of natural resources. Because they had the timber, they were into shipbuilding. I mean, you wanted to live in Macedonia. Uh, that was a place where you could make a lot of money. But then Rome came in, and uh, they, of course, uh, took that all away. I mean, they allowed uh, the Macedonians to continue to work, but there was no profit left. They were impoverished. They were, they were in severe poverty because Rome had come in and taken all their wealth away similar to some of what you've experienced maybe in the midst of this uh, very challenging economy that we find ourselves in. But listen to what Paul has to say. So he's talking to the people at Corinth. He's writing this letter to them. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The grace. It always starts out with God's power. God's grace. It's not our own, but God had infused the Macedonian churches with a supernatural viewpoint of life. They had become big picture people, right? In the midst of a very severe trial, not just talking about the financial trial they were going through, but they're also being heavily persecuted by most of, like most of the church back in that day. Uh, not only were they suffering financially. But they were at the bottom of the heap because the rest of the people of Macedonia uh, thought they were fools as well for believing in God. They discriminated against them, and uh, it was a very difficult life. Uh, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, throughout my uh, ministry, that verse has always been one of, uh, hmm. I don't know, it, it, it just uh, is saturated with the power of God. When I look at that verse, in the midst of a very severe trial and extreme poverty. Well, if you're in severe trial and you're in extreme poverty, you think you're going to have overflowing joy? Do you think you're going to have rich generosity? Personally, I don't think I would. I hoped I would, but they don't go together, do they? This, it's kind of like the verse is out of sync. In the midst of a, not, not just a problem, but a severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy, and rich generosity. That sums up the supernatural experience 
of a Christian who his whole life is, is focused around God, who sees the big picture of life, understands their relationship with Jesus Christ, and is living that out on a day-by-day basis. And I, I, I'm jealous of the Macedonians. I want to be like that. that. That Their lives are just wrought with problems, but they still have this incredible joy, this incredible satisfaction in Jesus Christ to the point that they're rich in generosity, rich in giving to others, helping other people. Why? Because they understand their riches in Jesus Christ. See, that, that, that really is the bottom line, friends. You know, to fully understand uh, how to live the Christian life and to have this natural motivation that wells up from within you is to realize the riches you have in Christ. The fact that, that you're saved, that you're part of the family, that God is your Father, He's your Abba, that He has everything that you need if you just call upon Him. Now, so many times the problem we have is that we equate, you know, the good life with no pain and all pleasure and no problems. And that, that's really where we just have to break things down and say, no, that is not the case. If you're expecting that, uh, it's not going to happen, no matter how hard you try. But if you just accept life as God reveals it to you and as you live through it, but you have a different orientation, and that is that my true joy comes from knowing Jesus. My true joy comes from depending on Him and just focusing on all the riches that He has given me. Then in the midst of extreme trial, uh, in the midst, midst or, or a severe trial and extreme poverty, I can be filled with generosity toward other people. That is supernatural. <laughs> Normal people don't do that. People who see the big picture. People who, who, whose Christ power is just flowing through. It goes on uh, in verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I mean, <laughs> it keeps stopping it, you know. It's kind of like, okay, they're rich in generosity. <clears throat> they gave what they were able and then even beyond that. I mean, these, are, these people don't have money. Okay, very, very little. And they give beyond what they were able. That's faith, right? That, that's saying, God, okay, I've got this much money, but you know what? I'm going to commit to even giving more beyond that because I know you're going to provide. You are the provider. And, and I, I'm trying to sense what you're leading me to give. And, and so I'm going to give beyond what I'm able. And so as we look at this HeartStrong campaign and what we're we're asking God to do through us as a church. And we're, we're, we're praying. And maybe it's the first time you've ever done this in your life. And you're saying, God, you direct me in terms of what you want me to do. You've got you've to put the faith factor in there. You've got to say, God, this is what I can give, but this is the faith factor. I'm going to trust in you to provide resources that I'm not sure where they're coming from yet. And again, that's that's something God has to point out to you, whatever that number might be. But I'm just going to put my faith in you. That's how you can give beyond your ability. 
Because God kicks it that that God kicks in at that point, right? Entirely on their own. It, it just continues to get better. I mean, Paul hadn't even probably thought about writing to the church of Macedonia and say, hey, could you send an offering to Jerusalem? Because, I mean, there's, there, there's bad off as Jerusalem. Why would I tell the Macedonians to help the people in Jerusalem out when they're in the same boat? So the Macedonians heard about it and said, oh, we've got to give. We've got to help our brethren in, in uh, Jerusalem. They urgently pleaded. I mean... <laughs> It's not enough just to say we'd like to give. It's like, I mean, Paul said, no, 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 you guys just take care of yourselves, you know, and you're, no, 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 we want to give. We want to give. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. It's always a privilege when you give to the Lord and it touches people's lives. In uh, sharing in the service to the Lord's people, they wanted to help the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. It just, it's kind of like it just keeps building and building and building. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. See, friends, this heartstrong campaign that we're in the midst of and this financial commitment that we're talking about, it's between you and God. And that's why it's so important that you really take some time to think and pray and and meditate on the verses that we've been studying and re-listen to maybe some of the podcasts, uh, uh, the devotional guide, uh, the small group material. And let God speak to you in a whole new way about giving to Him. Because it's not really about heartstrong and our vision. It's about you and God. Why Paul was so impressed with the people of Macedonia, many times people will give to a particular cause. Okay, we all do that. We hear about a cause and we give to it. You know? okay, there's needs at Springbrook, we'll give to that. But really that's the wrong orientation. The right orientation is, first of all, to give yourself to the Lord. Jesus Christ is your Lord. It's not about Springbrook. It's not about Heartstrong. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Every dime that I have, every dime I'll have in the future, my very life, everything belongs to Him. That's where you've got to start. Otherwise, you're just giving out of obligation. First of all, you say, God, I am yours. My life is yours. It's that Lordship decision we continue to talk about. And some of you continue to fight in your lives, and you continue to say, no, I'm going to run my own life. Well... I pray God would break you down because that's no way to live. Uh, you, you continue to give your life over to God and say, Lord, okay, I'm yours. Oh, oh here's, here's you know my church family coming along, what I'm devoted to, and they're asking for you know uh, a commitment in order to fund this vision. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do? You, know, you, see, you see the relationship there? It's not like, oh, Springbrook's asking me, or pastor's asking me, or somebody else. You know, it's it flows from your relationship with God, and that's why people have so much baggage about giving, is because it's always been about some church asking them for money when they had no relationship with God, or they had no relationship with Jesus, or Jesus Christ wasn't Lord of their life, and they always always were offended when when the church asked them for money, and because 
Many times the church didn't teach them about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder if they were ticked. I'd be ticked too if I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and some church asked me for more than, you know, what I think I should chip in. Right? That's my money. Hey, get off my back. <laughs> you know? No, no. No. We at Springbrook seek to teach you about a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ where He is Lord and sovereign over your life. And so when opportunities come along... Like heart strong, you go to the Lord and say, God, you own everything. So what do you want me to give? And maybe you're giving to your max right now and you can't give any more. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. It's between you and God. Or maybe you're really, you're being convicted and you're saying, Lord, you know, I've been, I've been stealing from you. I, I've been selfish. I have not honored you in, in the way that uh, I should. And I want to grow in lordship in this area. And so... You let God guide you in that way. Or, Lord, I've been playing it safe. I've been playing it safe. I can't remember the last time I, I took a step out financially to really sacrifice and really show you that I was really leaning upon you. I mean, it's always been in the context of what could be done. I, I can't remember the last time I gave beyond my ability. So, so wherever God has you, you think through this. It's, the idea behind a, a giving focus like this, it's a catalyst. It's a catalyst to move you to the next level of lordship uh, in your life. It's a spiritual journey uh, that you're experiencing. So uh, he goes on to say, uh, let me, let's look at Philippians 4.19. This is what the people at Philippi understood. It says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. How much do you really believe that? How much do I really believe that? As I live my daily life. If I really believe that, if I really believe that God was going to take care of Dan Harrison until he was 65, 70, 85 with Alzheimer's, if God, if I really believe that, how would I, how would I steward my money differently? But if I don't believe that, it's going to be a totally different ballgame, right? It's going to be save, save, save. And nothing wrong with planning and saving those kind of things. Very wise to do. But I tell you, it really is an orientation. Are you really trusting in God or are you trusting in your planning? It's, it's a lordship issue, guys. Uh, and here's my challenge for you, 2 Corinthians 8.7. He's talking to people of Corinth. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech. So he's saying you guys do well in a lot of different areas. In faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. You guys are growing, Paul says. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I want to challenge you guys to excel. To excel. And that means different things to different people. The most critical question, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Does he own all of your life. That's the first decision you have to make before you even think about a campaign commitment. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Well, make Him Lord first. And then ask Him, You're my Lord. What do you want me to give? Because I'm your servant. And really, it's not about the amount of money that we raise, the amount of money that's committed. But whatever God gives us, God gives us, and we'll work with that, and we'll adjust, and that kind of thing. Really, it's more about your spiritual growth. That's, that's what I'm concerned about. 
You know, how is God working in your life? I'm going to have Bill Atkinson come out at this time, and he's going to share his story about how maybe 14 years ago God spoke to him, uh, Becky. Thanks, Dan. Good afternoon. When I heard Springbrook was doing a uh, stewardship capital campaign, I was probably like many of you. I got pretty excited. You know, uh, you might think I'm a little odd for saying that, but I really did. And let me explain why. Fourteen years ago, I may have been somebody like some of you. I was a newer Christian. I knew God created everything and created the world, and I knew Jesus was the path to heaven, but I I really was not sure God was real personal or cared much about the small stuff in my life. Now I know different, and I know I was completely wrong. God does care about the everyday stuff just as much as he cares about the big stuff in my life, and now he is the most important friend I have in this world. This is how this all came about. Fourteen years ago, Pastor Dan and Springbrook started their first stewardship capital campaign. It was called Catch the Vision, and it was in order to purchase this land that we stand on today. This is the first time in my life I'd ever heard a pastor preach about what the Bible had to say about money, something that was pretty dear to my heart, money. I had no idea Jesus ever spoke of money, but after... Uh, Listening to Pastor Dan, I learned that Jesus taught on money more often than any other subject. As I said, I was kind of a newer Christian, and I hadn't cracked the Bible too often. So I guess people during Jesus' time were pretty much like we are now. We hold an extreme value on money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. In fact, I find it comes in handy at times. But a lot of us value it much more than anything else including God. So during this time period, when the offering bag would come around, I would open my wallet and give some, and I'd always make sure I wasn't shorting myself for the week. And if we missed a Sunday, I just got more money in my wallet. So then Pastor Dan then taught about something that was foreign to me called the tithe, and I'd never heard about this before. So as you can imagine, I was pretty shocked when I found out that meant God wants 10%. I thought, God, you are all-knowing. Don't you realize what it costs to live around here? So my wife, Becky, and I began to discuss all of this. She was about at the same spiritual plane as me at the time, and this was the first time um, she had... This was all new to her as well. So we prayed, which we had not done much before, And I believe we may have prayed together for the very first time in our lives. When it was time to commit on the amount, we experienced the first sign that God might be a little more present in our lives than previously thought. We stood together, and I said to her an amount, and she said a percentage to me at the same time. When I did the math, it was the same. It was 10%. Now, at the time, we thought this was a coincidence. But later we realized God had personally spoken to each of us and told us what to do. We were completely stepping out in faith, 
because I had no idea how we were going to do this. I felt like we never had any extra money, but we decided we were going to trust God and he would provide. We realized for the first time, and we truly believed, God really owns everything. He does not need our money. He only wants to be first in our hearts. So if he wants 10%, you know, he can have it. So the second proof God is personal was just two weeks later. Some of you that have been around a while have heard this story before, and I apologize in advance for repeating it, but uh, I think it's too good to not let the newer folks hear. Two weeks after committing to catch the vision, we had some unusual circumstances occur, and we received a gift that was completely out out of the blue. It was from a relative I'd only met twice. And the gift was for the exact amount of our whole first year of commitment. When I saw the check, my mouth dropped. And it's not because of the large amount. It was because it was like God hit me with a two-by-four. I'm not kidding. The check was for the exact dollar amount of what we'd committed for the entire year. Well, since we got hit with that two-by-four, Becky and I started to we thought maybe we better get busy and develop this relationship with God. So we joined a few small groups, and over the years we've led several. And by doing this, we've developed the closest, most intimate friends anyone could ever hope for. In the last 14 years, we've relied heavily at times on these friends and relationship with God. There was a time when I'm not sure I would have been able to handle what life had thrown at us. You see, my daughter had major life-threatening surgery seven years ago. God, in all his wisdom, he knew seven years prior to that that we would need him to make it through. We would need all of our small group intimate friends and him to carry us through that valley. And now we have the opportunity to thank him every single day because she is fine and continues to bless us every single day. So who would have thought, because a church taught about money and what God expects us to do with it, my wife and I would be blessed every single day by the presence of God in our lives and by the existence of the most closest, intimate friends you could ever have. And this is all because we trusted Him with our money. He carries us through the valleys, and he blesses our socks off more frequently than I can ever count. So when I said I was excited about this campaign, I was completely telling the truth. If someone else out there is where I was 14 years ago, and after hearing all of this, you finally get it. You realize God owns everything. It is all his. He really doesn't need anything from you. He's only desiring to be first in your heart. If you get this, I guarantee you are in for the most incredible ride of life that you could ever imagine. Thank you. We could have our ushers come forward at this time. We might have to take our offering. I'm going to show you some pictures here. Uh, 